0: Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.
1: Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican— As of our recording on Wednesday morning, December 28th,
0: Pope Emeritus Benedict is seriously ill. We have some breaking news this morning. Pope Francis, the leader of the Catholic Church, asked for prayers for the former pontiff during his general audience earlier today, and he didn't give any other details.
1: You can find up-to-date news on this story at americamagazine.org. This week, we'll also cover Pope Francis' Christmas Eve homily and his Christmas Day message to the city of Rome and the world. Pope Francis offered assurance to Christians around the world. With the little detail of the manger, he said, The evangelist seeks to show us God's closeness, poverty, and concreteness in his Son, Jesus. Finally, we'll take a look at Pope Francis' Christmas address to the Roman Curia. This is a speech the Pope has often used to call out problems he sees in the culture of the Church's central offices, and this year was no different.
0: Pope Francis typically has no problem being demanding with members of the Roman Curia. But this year, during his Christmas greeting to his closest aides, the Pope explained that those who work in the Curia or anywhere within the Church are often faced with the same temptation that the brother of the prodigal son fell into.
1: I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry.
2: Good afternoon from a sunny and warm Rome, Colleen, but with uh, the breaking news of Benedict's failing health, which took us all by surprise this morning.
1: Right, Jerry, we're recording this the morning of December 28th, Wednesday, and Just now, Pope Francis uh, appealed for a special prayer for the Pope Emeritus uh, because he says he is very sick. We've had a brief statement from the Vatican press office. Can you tell us what we know so far?
2: Well, the news was broken by Pope Francis. And I think this is the most significant element because in the past, when Benedict has been sick or uh, rumors had been going around that he was in failing health, Francis never said anything. And the fact that he came out before anybody else said anything and said he is very ill, he asked for special prayers, and that the Lord would console and help him to continue his witness to the end. So it seemed a very significant statement to me. It was the closest thing we have to saying he's on death's door, basically.
1: Yeah, that to-the-end language and the fact that it came from the Pope both lend it a level of credibility that we haven't seen before.
2: Absolutely. That Francis spoke so clearly, and immediately afterwards, he went to visit Benedict. So he probably got the information right before the audience and then went straight to Benedict immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is saying a lot. There's an air of suspense around Benedict's failing health And we're just waiting to see what is next. The only statement that has come has come from the Vatican press officer, Matteo Bruni, which came about an hour and a half after the Pope's statement. Mm -hmm. He confirmed that in the last hours, which meant this morning, the emeritus Pope's health had deteriorated. But he said he was now under control. What does that mean? It means it's stable. He said he's being monitored by the doctors, but he said we join everybody in praying for him. And there's been an outpouring of prayer around the world for him.
1: So we will keep our listeners up to date at americamagazine.org and we'll publish a special update with any breaking news in the Inside the Vatican podcast feed. It's possible that things will have changed by the time our listeners hear this on friday december 30th so in the meantime if our listeners want up-to-date news you can always follow us on twitter jerry is at jerry o rome and i am at colleen delhi Jerry, for our first story this week, we wanted to look at Pope Francis's Christmas messages. First, his Christmas Eve homily, and then his Christmas Day, Irby at Orby, his address to the church and the world. You were at his Christmas Eve mass. What was it like?
2: Well, it was really uh, quite a, an emotional moment. It was very, uh, I think, touching for many people. Going in, I've seen something that I haven't seen in recent years. Many people begging for tickets. We had 7,000 people in the church. Mm. Vatican official told me they've never had in recent years such a request for tickets. He said people would be willing to give an arm and a leg to get a ticket to go in. And most people couldn't see the Pope because he came in on on the wheelchair and he was low. And so if you were anywhere in the center or the back, you, you wouldn't see him. You could only see him for the site.
1: Jerry, the last couple of years were, because of the pandemic, they were much smaller, right? So was this the first time it was really back to normal?
2: Yeah. Last year we were there. I, I went with my whole family last year and again this year. Uh, last year we were about half that number. And so you still had the feeling we were exiting from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. This year you had the feel we'd really almost exited. Got it. And remember, outside in the square – there were maybe thousands seated mm. in the cold air.
1: Watching on big screens.
2: On big screens. Yes, it was quite a sight. And I understand why people want to be there, because mm-hmm. there's a sense of belonging. There's a sense of universality. You see people from all nationalities and languages. You can hear them speaking afterwards. And then you have hundreds of priests and priests, a lot of cardinals, I don't know how many, but a lot of them, and bishops, and so it was one of those solemn moments, and the diplomatic corps were present as well. that's the ambassadors from the hundred and eighty two eighty three states that have diplomatic relations with the Holy See.
1: let's talk about the homily that the Pope delivered at that Mass. It was really, really beautiful, and it focused in particular on the image of Jesus' manger, which I thought was an interesting choice. The Pope mentions in his usual... Jesuit threes way of giving homilies that Jesus's major is mentioned three times in the gospel, and it points to three things, God's closeness, God's poverty, and the concreteness with which God relates to us. You want to just tell me anything that stood out to you from this?
2: Yes, I was quite struck by the homily. It, th- these are homilies that are obviously written by him. There are homilies where he's given a draft and he puts in his own touches to them. But you can sense that this is a homily which was written by him. And I I was struck by one particular thing. He says, speaking about the manger, he spoke a lot about the manger. He said, while animals feed in their stalls, men and women in our world, in their hunger for wealth and power, consume even their neighbors, their brothers and sisters. It's a very powerful statement. Yeah. Because uh, this quest for power, this quest for wealth in the world, people devour their brothers and sisters. And to say it so powerfully and almost crudely, Mm -hmm. Francis has a gift of being able to deliver a, a big punch With his words.
1: Yeah, well, it's a crude image, right? He's talking about the the manger as a a tool of consumption for animals and how God enters into poverty as a child and, and literally is placed in this basket for consumption.
2: And then he said, This Christmas, as in the time of Jesus, a world ravenous for money, power, and pleasure does not make room for the little ones, for so many unborn poor and forgotten children. I think above all of the children devoured by war, poverty and injustice. Francis has stayed on key right from the beginning of his pontificate, drawing attention to the discarded people of the world. And you know, you have many people in the Basilica there, and some of them are wealthy and some of them representing governments. And he's sending a strong message. He's keeping Christ was born, Jesus was born in poverty.
1: He also really hammers the message home in this section on concreteness. He talks about how this impels us to action, right? He says, Christmas shows us that all of our pious sentiments are not enough. And he says, may we not let this Christmas pass without doing something good. And that is as you mentioned, a powerful call when you have people who are in real positions of power, like diplomats, like government officials, sitting in front of him hearing these words. So I thought that was really significant, that he's not just saying, you know, so let's keep in mind the poor as we enjoy our nice dinners. He's saying, make sure that you're doing something good.
2: Yes, his message was very direct. You know, you have to be doing something good if you're living this Christmas. And he himself has sent Cardinal Krayevsky, who was at that moment in Kiev. He had brought generators because the electricity isn't working and it's been bombed by the Russians and he'd brought these thermal vests, a whole truckload of thermal vests and he was in Kiev, and the Caritas and the other organizations were taking them to the soldiers in the front line and so Francis wasn't just preaching; he was doing what he was telling people to do.
1: By the way, Jerry, I got some questions from our listeners about these thermal vests, so I wanted to clear up. It's like thermal shirts are what uh, I guess we'd call them in the states, like the long sleeve shirts that go underneath your clothes that that help insulate you and keep you warm.
2: Exactly. And then you know, when Kraevsky was finishing his mission, Francis called him and said, "You're my presence." there. You're representing me. You're doing what I want to do. And Krajewski is now on his way back to Rome, 2,000 miles, and he's going to fill another truck with these thermal vests and take more generators. And by the 6th of January, which is, of course, the Orthodox Christmas, he will be back there with another consignment. So Francis, in every homily, he speaks about the war in Ukraine and the other wars, and day by day, he's pushing people, you have to do something good. You have a lot of good things in Christmas, but you have to do something good too.
1: We also saw Pope Francis focusing on Ukraine in his Urbi at Orbi, which is his annual Christmas Day message to the city of Rome and to the world. That's what Urbi at Orbi means. In this, he focused, as he often does, on the theme of peace, the necessity of making peace in the world, and he focused on a lot of different regions, including Ukraine, of course, but also Syria, the Holy Land, especially Bethlehem at this Christmas time, Lebanon, the Sahel region of Africa, the Horn of Africa, and Yemen, and then, of course, places that we've seen a lot of in the news lately, Myanmar, Iran, Haiti, Afghanistan. Let's talk about what he wanted to accomplish with this Irby and talk to the city and to the world.
2: Well, first of all, faced with the frenetic consumerism that has gobbled up much of the Western world at Christmas time, Francis wants to bring people back, especially believers, Christians, back to the understanding that there are a lot of things not well in our world. And interestingly, in his Urbi at Orbi, that's to the city of Rome, Urbi, Orbi to the world, Francis is saying, this is the Third World War is happening. Wake up. And he speaks about the other theatres of the Third World War. He mentioned Ukraine, but he said there are other theatres mentioning all those countries you listed. And it was very significant. He didn't speak any more about Third World War piecemeal. He's putting them all as part of one Third World War. And I asked uh, some senior official in the Vatican, is the Vatican now considering that we're actually in the Third World War? And he said, well, that's the reality.
1: Jerry, I want to ask you about this Third World War thing, because you seem to think that it's significant that they're talking about it this way rather than a Third World War. Fought piecemeal. Why is that a significant difference?
2: Well, the Pope's statement in these urbi et orbi, these big global talks that he gives at Christmas and Easter, th- these are quite significant things. They have gone through a lot of preparation. So it's not an off the cuff comment. It's obviously a more definitive statement as how the Pope and the Vatican is reading. situation in the world today. I think there's a a very clear analysis now that we're no longer in a regional war or a conflict involving one country or two countries. We're involving something that's global, that's impacting on the energy supply, the food supply, trade, that's impacting on the economies of countries, and that's involving enormous investment in weaponry, and no end in sight. I mean, it's significant. This Christmas, there was no question of getting a truce at Christmas. It just wasn't possible. Right, And I think Francis, day by day, tries to get people to realize that the world is in a very serious situation. And he's spoken about the nuclear threat in the past, he didn't mention this in his speech, But in the same days, some of the Russian top leaders are speaking about nuclear. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are in a very dangerous moment in the world. And that is the message of Francis and saying this is the Third World War is an effort to shake consciences and get people to understand this is no ordinary war.
1: Right. It's much like you were mentioning with the Christmas homily and then earlier with Ukraine and the Erbeid Orbi, that the Pope is using his platform to shine a spotlight on these stories, on these places that are in conflict, much like with his papal trips. That's how he uses his spotlight that's on him to redirect it onto people who he deems need it. Jerry, you and I are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Pope's address to the Roman Curia last week. Stay with us. Second story today, we wanted to take a look at the Pope's address to the Roman Curia. That's his address to all the folks who work in the central offices of the Vatican. And this in past years has been a time for the Pope to really read the Curia the Riot Act. The Pope came out very strongly in his very first uh 2013 Christmas speech to the Roman Curia, calling them out for kind of the sins that he saw in the Curia. Uh, You and I have talked sometimes about how the headlines that year were the Pope gives the Curia a lump of coal for Christmas. (laughs) But the Pope did that again this year, talking about especially some of the resistance that he's seen to his reform of the Roman Curia. The fact that, that people haven't been happy with the changes that he has made. So, Jerry, let's talk about this speech came in two parts. The first part, he compares the Roman Curia to the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. So, you know, the younger son runs off and spends all this money and then is welcomed back kindly by his father after blowing his whole inheritance. And the elder brother has been home and behaving the whole time and is extremely jealous of this uh, welcome that his brother has gotten. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about the second part of of this, which focused on peace, peace in the curia of peace that is reached by an internal conversion. So first off, the the prodigal son thing, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, the Pope said, you know, we can be unhappy even while formally remaining faithful to our duties, like the elder son of the merciful father. For those who set out and go astray, it's easy to recognize how far they've wandered. For those who remain at home, it's not easy to appreciate the hell they're living in and convince that they are mere victims treated unjustly by constituted authority and in the last analysis, by God himself. How does this apply to the Roman Curia?
2: Well, Francis, from the beginning, he set out to try to change the culture, the way of being, the way of acting of those working in the Roman Curia. And he's had some success, even though at one stage he said, Reforming the Roman Curia is like using a toothbrush to clean the Sphinx in Egypt. <laughs> but he keeps uh, focused. And uh, this time he says, dear brothers and sisters, because now there's quite a few women in there as well. Yeah. He says, all of us have had the experience of getting lost, like the younger son.
1: Okay.
2: He said, these sins have caused us, he calls them sins, have caused us humiliation. And for this very reason, by God's grace, we were able to face them squarely. And then he moves. At this time in our lives, we need to pay greater attention to the fact that in a formal sense, we are now living at home, like the elder brother. We're living within the walls of the institution, in the service of the Holy See, at the heart of the church. He said, precisely for this reason, we could easily fall into the temptation, like the elder son of thinking we are safe, better than others, no longer in need of conversion. And Francis has always focused on the theme of conversion.
1: Yeah, since the beginning.
2: In that first programmatic document, which we've quoted so many times in our program, The Joy of the Gospel, Francis pushed and pushed the idea of there is a need for conversion in the whole church, starting with the papacy, but going right down to the parish level and to the individual level. And this is what he's saying again here.
1: And Jerry, this this conversion happened in part through the changes, or at least he's trying to help it along through the changes that he made in issuing the new Courier Constitution, which he had been working on for years. That came into effect on June 5th this year. So I'm wondering, do you read this quote about, especially those who remain at home, it's not easy to appreciate the hell they're living in, convinced that they're mere victims. Do you see that as being related to some of the negative response to the Curia Constitution?
2: Well, it's a mix.
1: Okay.
2: That is one part of it. There's no doubt that some people are uneasy, stressed by the reforms he has made.
1: And can we talk for a second about why that is?
2: Well, they wonder what their future will be in some cases. You know, when he's saying that cardinals will no longer head all the offices, bishops won't head all the offices, there will be lay people. So obviously he will be thinking of that. But he's also saying that each one of us, and he's starting with himself as Pope. He said that there's a need for a conversion of the papacy. But he's saying that each one has to do it. And then he sees that in the positions you're in in the Korean, he's talking really to the managerial staff. He's talking of those who have positions of responsibility and power and management in the Roman Curia. And he's saying the risk is you can be tempted by what he calls educated demons.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's talk about this.
2: And that's a very interesting thing, because he's saying we're all ambushed by demons at some moment in our life. And sometimes they're brutal, they're violent, etc., but this is another class. It's a very sophisticated class. Your temptations come through people who really seem to be totally on your side mm-hmm. and yet lead you down a wrong track.
1: Yeah, this is Pope Francis coming out in full force as kind of the church's spiritual director, Jesuit spiritual director, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely, Colin.
1: Straight out of the spiritual exercises of St.
2: Ignatius. Yes, but he's now 10 years pope. Mm-hmm. He's watched people. People have come to him and talked. And he sees those who come and say yes, yes to his face. And then he knows they go back and are doing other things. Mm-hmm. And he, he knows that some of them are co opted by other forces, not just in the money field, that too, but also in, let's say, ideological fields. He sees all this happening. And he's trying to say, beware, be vigilant. This was the message. You must be vigilant.
1: I think that some people who might not be familiar with this kind of Ignatian language that the Pope is using might be a little caught off guard to hear the Pope talking about demons at work in the Roman Curia. So maybe we can just rewind for a second and and lay out some of the background here. So, you know, as a Jesuit, the Pope has done St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises. They're kind of how he understands our relationships with God. And Ignatius, his whole deal is that he sees two spirits at work in the world, right? A good spirit and an evil spirit. So when the Pope is talking about demons here, he's talking about an evil spirit. And one of the things he says in his rules for discernment that Ignatius says is that much like Pope Francis says in this speech, the evil spirit will come to you as this brutal force trying to tempt you into all these bad things. But if you resist it, then the evil spirit comes back as this more elegant demon, this one who can relate to you more easily and try to lead you down wrong paths.
2: You know, Colin, you've got to recall that in these 10 years, a cardinal has been sent for trial under Francis.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Cardinals have been removed from office. Mm -hmm. Bishops have been removed. People have ended up on trial, lay people in the Vatican, and they have been condemned for uh, the misuse of funds. Francis has moved people out of the Vatican.
1: In a way that past popes haven't.
2: Absolutely. He came with a mission, a task from the pre-conclave meeting of the cardinals that elected him to reform the Curia. And reform, you, you can't just do it by writing. You have to do it by action. So he tries to reform the mentality, the culture, but also the people, And if where he has found that people weren't buying in, he has removed them from office. There has been quite a changeover, and there will be more changeover. And he has been very strong on this question of poverty, living austere lives. And every time he makes new cardinals, he tells them, I don't want you to see this as kind of upgrading your status. I don't want you to have big celebrations when you come to Rome. So he he keeps focusing that the church is meant to be the church of the poor, a humble church. Also, that responsibility is meant to be core responsibility, not just a top leadership like you have in China, which is directing everybody. Everybody is meant to have their own role. These talks are really little masterpieces. They're meant to be roadmaps for the reform. And this time, as you said earlier, Colleen, There are two parts to this talk this year, which is unlike the past.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that second part, the part about peace. I think this got overlooked in a lot of the headlines about the elegant demons or the refined or educated demons. Um, But the, the part about peace was really interesting. He's talking about how the need for peace is, you know, overwhelming in this world and that Christmas is a time to kind of recommit ourselves to work for peace. But here in the talk to the Roman Curia, which actually came before Christmas, it was December 22nd, he talks about the need for peace just within ourselves and among the people that we work with. I kind of see this in the context of his previous comments to the Curia, you know, denouncing gossip, denouncing a a kind of petty culture or one where people are trying to get ahead. But what did you take away from the peace part?
2: Well, it was very clear. He started out and said, Dear brothers and dear sisters, The culture of peace is not built up solely between peoples and nations. It begins in the heart of every one of us. Mm -hmm. And he says, okay, we're all upset by the spread of war and violence. We can and we must make our contribution to peace by striving to uproot from our hearts all hatred and resentment towards our brothers and sisters. And then he, he goes on and says, how much bitterness do we have in our hearts? He knows there's some bitterness among some people in the Kuria. What is feeding it? What is the source of the indignation that so often creates distances between us and fuels anger and resentment? Why is it that backbiting in all its forms becomes our only way of talking about things around us? He's been very specific. And then he, he goes on again. He says that besides the violence of arms, of weapons, There is also verbal violence, psychological violence, the violence of the abuse of power, the hidden violence of gossip. And then he says, may none of us profit from his or her position and role in order to demean others. It really is a very powerful examination of conscience, if you like, for people working there. You know, do I fit into this? Do I demean people? Many bishops will now state publicly, you know, the climate has completely changed in this regard. And so Francis is chipping away at a culture that has built up over centuries, and he's trying to bring out a new culture.
1: Mm -hmm. And Jerry, I want to jump off something that that you said about the importance of an examination of conscience, that, that Francis is really providing this kind of examination of conscience because if you look at the talk, he actually says very explicitly that the way to fight against and unmask these demons, these elegant demons that tempt you to all of these sins that, that he's talking about is a daily examination of conscience. So again, getting back to those Ignatian basics here.
2: Yes, he is well aware that, uh, you know, people get invited to nice restaurants High-level receptions Mm
0: -hmm.
2: be introduced to people at certain levels of society, and they're really not the discarded people. And Francis is trying to erode, eliminate this way of being.
1: Right. Changing not only the structures, but also the culture. All right, Jerry, I think this is a good place for us to stop. That marks our last episode of the year. So I just want to say thanks for for weathering another year of this podcast with me. We've been at it for, gosh, four or five now. And good luck in the new year as I go on maternity leave and you continue the show with Ricardo. I'm sure you guys will do great together.
2: Well, Colleen, we wish you the very best for safe delivery and your new baby.
1: Mm -hmm. Thanks.
2: We wish our listeners very happy, peaceful, blessed, and prosperous new year.
1: Perfect. And Jerry, I will talk to you when I am back from leave in April or May. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo Da Silva. Audio editing by Kevin Christopher Robles production assistance from Cristobal Spielman at America Media. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our news coverage at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Delli. We'll see you next time.
0: Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections.